Welcome to Spinning Out. I'm your host, Josh Robbins. This is a podcast where we talk to guests about their favorite albums. Today we're talking with Kaylee Goldsworthy. We talked about Hole's 1998 album, Celebrity Skin. We also talked about being a hired gun but learning to take time for yourself and make your own music. The conversation touches a lot on the 2011 documentary, Hit So Hard, which centers around Hole's drummer Patty Schimmel and the band surrounding the recording and fallout in her personal life. I can't stress how much you should watch the doc if you can get your hands on it. It does tie a lot to the conversation, but you won't have any problem enjoying it even if you haven't watched it. Kaylee released her debut solo album, Learning to Be Yourself, last year on Memory Music. You can pick it up directly from her on vinyl or check it out on streaming. Don't forget to check out our Patreon. That's patreon.com slash spinningoutpod. My co-host Sarah and I, we listen to records we liked a lot when we were younger and revisit them as much older and jaded individuals. You can subscribe for as little as $1 a month or more, and you'll get an exclusive episode every week. Follow us on social media, Twitter and Instagram, at spinningoutpod. Please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Leave a comment, and reviews always help. Okay, let's chat with Kaylee. Hey, Kaylee, how's it going? Hi, I'm great. How are you doing? Uh, Doing pretty good. Um, Just, you know. (laughs) Drinking tea? (laughs) On a Tuesday. Just drinking tea on a Tuesday night. Uh, But actually, today, we are talking about Hole's third album, Celebrity Skin, that came out in 1998 on DGC Records. And what I'll ask is, when was the first time you heard Hole or this So, this record in particular as a part of a chapter of my life that I like to refer to as the library days. So my family was always very musical. My parents played instruments. My sister and I played music. And so my dad was like a member of those CD of the month clubs, like the, and like those, whatever major label it was that would like send out different CDs that they're like, oh, if you like hum, you'll like this. And so my parents were really cool and and definitely knew about cool music um but this was what this i was 12 years old when this record came out so i was going to the baldwinsville public library and i was window shopping cds for my new favorite bands based on what they looked like and so that's how i learned about veruca salt that's how i learned about alkaline trios god damn it and and that kind of ushered in this era of late 90s rock music and this record in particular was a christmas gift uh this was my sister's first cd and my first cd which we both received at the same time mine was garbage version 2.0 and this was my parents offering to us of uh badass women in music and so that's kind of like that's the chapter that this that's the scene the scene has been set for this record in 12 year old kaylee's life did uh your your mother actually present it in that way wait what do you mean like they like you said badass women oh yeah i guess yeah oh absolutely yeah they were like this "This is is," because also at, at the same time i mean i'm sure we'll talk more about the other music that was popular in 1998 but um a young child could go in many different directions <laughs> in 98. And so my parents, I think, were like, 
you know, you guys are starting to play instruments. Like I started playing guitar around this time and uh, piano at the same time too. So they were like, if you're going to play music, you should definitely check out these bands too. So that's mm, enter uh, holes, <laughs> celebrity skin. <laughs> yeah. What? Well, actually now I'm curious. Um, what music was out oh, in 98? Like what see, was See, this is the... the research that I did on this record. I was okay, like, great. what else was on the radio yeah. slash what else was I listening to in 1998? And I have a list and it is all okay. over the place and it is embarrassing, but it is the truth. Mm-hmm. Destiny's Child's first CD came out into it. Dixie Chicks Wide Open Spaces. That record. What a banger. Still right? holds up. This is also the year that yeah. In the Airplane Over the Sea came out. So oh, wow. we have all of that. And then the fastball record, All the Pain Money Can Buy, that had The Way. I don't know if you remember that song. Mm-hmm. Still a banger. Yeah. Tori Amos had a new record come out that year from the Choir Girl Hotel. Uh, MXPX put out Let It Happen. Pop punk okay. perfection, in my opinion. Mermaid Avenue, Wilco, Billy Bragg. Fucking Bare Naked Ladies Stunt came out in 1998. Mm, this is a crazy year. This is a crazy like, and dizzy the up place. the girl like, for Goo Goo Dolls. Oh, that was, uh, I would, oh, I usually I feel like, well, I used to say that their last good record was A Boy Named Goo, but I've revisited and I think I'll, I've amended it to Dizzy, dizzy up, up the Girl. Dizzy Up the Girl is a Personal. great record. Gran Turismo from the Cardigans. Yeah. I am telling mm. you, so many good records came out in 98 slash just like seminal 90s records that like, you know, a kid could get real, yeah. could get messed up in the wrong shit in 98 pretty yeah. easily. The Bewitched record came out that year, too. I don't know if you're familiar with that. That's a UK pop group. <laughs> oh, no, I was like, wait, I, I was trying to yeah. think of like the remake. Oh, no. I was like, wait, no, the no, not like, like the, the movie, like a like okay. a pop group that I also had a CD for. I definitely had that CD too. Okay, so we contain multitudes. What? <laughs> what were your parents listening to? You okay? I guess you kind of said it with like the actually getting. This is almost one of the first times where I've heard someone getting the CD of the month thing or, you know, actually legally. Oh, yeah. I feel like there's well, so many stories of Well, and that's where the, the library like... <laughs> came into play for me was that I was burning these CDs. So I was essentially <laughs> stealing them from my public library when yeah. I was 12 and 13. Um, but, yeah, no, my, my dad was like a legit CD collector. Um, and that's early on CD burning. Well, not I burning. He wasn't burning. I was burning. <laughs> Okay. So he did yeah. have all of the capabilities I, I like for like, me to do that. Yeah. But um, we were always pretty like tech savvy musically in our household. Like okay. I was always making like mixtapes from the radio or and putting them onto CDs and like that kind of stuff. Um, so we we had the capabilities for sure. But yeah, no, my dad was legally obtaining music for us to consume. And then I would just go to the library and be like, yo, who is Alkaline Trio? They look so cool <laughs> yeah it's crazy thinking about those people that as librarians as uh, who they were um that were because when i think about things that i've gotten from the library like like university libraries mm-hmm. when i was you know like kind of getting dvds who or things, picks like, the music movies. like yeah it's weird it's like these people are really like it's like just leaving a just treasure on the ground for people absolutely but you don't really get to you technically don't get to witness it you know like even if like i've i've realized you know because it was like 
with like kind of, I kind of, I like got back into like comic books in like 2020 because there was nothing to do. And it was like, and it was like graphic novels, you can just get them for free at the library. And it's like somebody just picks those out. Those people that curate things at the public library, it's like salute for real i don't know who they was were curating alkaline trio the baldwinsville public library in the name late 90s but they like they they knew they knew me like deep deeply yeah. they knew what i needed and it was all kinds of really weird strange stuff uh but yeah that's they were the key to my late 90s like personal discoveries in music yeah. which is so, pretty so wild. i guess so with this mm -hmm. came this whole record and what do you remember do you remember like witnessing it just through like that cd of the month thing or like no on so MPB this one or? was this was my sister's first cd okay, like yeah. she this was her cd and i remember like you know i would listen to my cd and then i would listen to her cd and we would borrow it so this was like a proper introduction like to me the way i always knew records were supposed to be uh, consumed, which was like the cover, the 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 packaging, what the insert looked like, what the CD looked like, the track listing, listening to the whole record through, seeing all of the various aspects of the visual artwork with looking and and reading the lyrics as you as you listen to the record. Um, and so yeah, that was the first. This was the, my like one of my first big kind of moments in music where I was I was consuming something that was kind of like meant for me you know yeah and did it did it make you like were or were you able to because that's like a, a distinction like discovering something at this time I feel like if I if I wasn't I may not have been able to like pick up earlier albums because a lot of times they didn't have those in stock but did it allow you to like go back or did you yeah no like, then I that, that was then that kind of spurred and started that like fire in me to want to go to record stores to find, oh, I love this band. I need to go listen to their earlier stuff. Do they have any other CDs? Mm -hmm. Is is this the, like, you know, I wouldn't have known if this was Hole's first record or if it was their 15th, you know? Like to me, just knowing that this band existed was the most important thing. And then I was like, okay, I need to go and I'm still way too young to go to shows, but I can go to the library or I can go to the record store and I can see where I can get more of their stuff. And if not more of their stuff, like, you know, my librarian or whoever was working at the record store could help me with something else that I would like in the same vein. Yeah. And do you feel like you understood like any context of like who they were? Not at, the at time, all, or just... especially, especially with this record, because this yeah. record was is is. I love this record deeply for as incredibly like flawed as it is in so many ways. I love this record deeply, but this is like the most plastic sterilized version of the band. And, and so obviously it was the easiest to consume as a young person and think that you had so much in common with Courtney Love. <laughs> yeah. It's, and, and it's in reality, I have nothing in common with Courtney Love. <laughs> <laughs> Except that we both yeah. play in bands. Yeah, it's an interesting one because I think I mentioned to a friend like, oh, I'm talking about this record. And they're like, why not live through this? And I'm like, well, that's not how my podcast works. <laughs> you know, I don't then uh, suggest a different one. And also, like, I I think this 
you picking this one, I was like, oh, this is an interesting one to pick. This really screams to me like this was the first one. And it also feels like somebody not going like, oh, I need to pick the one before or something. Yeah, this is like I, I mean, the big one. I, yeah. I've listened to your podcast and I've always found like the most compelling like records that people pick are the ones that that stood out the most to them for like whatever reason that is. And that was this, this record was one of them for me. And it, yes, I learned an awful lot more about whole after this record, but this was the introduction that I had to them. And, you know, I, I don't know if, if I saw earlier whole, when I was like 10, if I'd be like, yeah, that's who I want to be when I grow up. But, yeah. but seeing visually seeing one, this, re- this album cover and the look of the album cover and seeing like three badass hot women and some, and, and an androgynous man on the cover, I was like, they're so cool. And then seeing the music video for celebrity skin and being like, they're dressed like freaking princesses and they're playing guitars. Mm-hmm. Like how badass is that? You know? If I saw yeah. if I saw like doll parts music video first, I'd be like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I was rewatching the music videos today and uh, was kind of like just feeling like I guess it's probably it's kind of says more to like where I am in my life. I was like, yeah, they're doing it, you know, because it's totally. like you know, like I don't know, like ten years ago, I would have been like, oh, this is the but like kind of being able to see these points and like, oh, this is a big production and I'm like. Oh, they were given all the money. Yeah, yeah. I feel like I'm like rooting for them. Totally. You know, kind of like uh, this is this is you know, you know, it's like this feels like it's shot by like I don't know, like Michael Bay or something. You know, it's like you know, like I was watching the Malibu Malibu music video, and it's like there was a lot of know, money put into that. Yeah, it's yeah. so rad. Like everybody was yeah, just wanting them to like succeed. Yeah, you know. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah. So so I guess like. Have you seen were have you seen like the Patty Schimmel documentary? I did watch like, it. Yeah. It? yeah. Yeah, we actually okay. just watched it the other day to prepare, do some more research. <laughs> and um yeah. yeah. I'm kind of like in awe of the amount of footage that they had for how like perpetually fucked up that band was. Yeah. It's pretty nuts. Yeah, it, it's wild when bands like I don't really any band from this time frame like thinking of how hard it would have been or there almost would have been no point to capture all of that. I don't capture that much footage and I have a video camera in my pocket every hour I'm awake. You know, like it's pretty that's like it's really wild and really cool that they do have that kind of documentation, but it is absolutely insane. Yeah. Yeah. Do you feel like, I mean, because since you hadn't seen the documentary before, like going into, I guess, thinking about the record for this context, had you, because I, I guess you said like how flawed it, you know, even with all the flaws. Yeah. What did you feel like you discovered before you even watched the documentary? Like, what do you feel like you've changed your mind about her if I'm phrasing that like what were the flaws well so when I first discovered this record I listened to it for like what my 12 year old brain could listen to it for and I really enjoyed it and then as I grew older and then I also dug deeper into Hole's catalog then I started like being aware of all of the intricacies of that band and so then like you know 
kind of having a better understanding of the band and and kind of having a you know being invested in the members of the band and then being like wait a second what what happened here like oh okay the bass player died then they got a new bass player well, okay well why why after this record came out why am i not seeing the the drummer that's on the record like it didn't dawn on me to be like i wonder why the record on the drummer on the record is not the drummer i'm seeing in the music videos like it, I just yeah. and and so it didn't even dawn on me that that she didn't drum on the record. I was just like, where did she go? Because the uh, what's his face who did the drums is not is uncredited on the record. Yeah, Dean yeah. Castronovo. Sorry, what's yeah. his name? <laughs> just like the drummer, well, I'm Journey drummer, the way right? Like yeah, the, that, yeah, that one. Dr- yeah, he. So okay, so he is the drummer of. Journey. So I guess even getting into him first and then sure, maybe, yeah. if people don't know, I'll kind of reveal it a little bit more, the context. So the drummer that actually drummed on the record is Dean Castronovo, as we said, and uh, he plays currently in Journey. He played in, so okay, there's, there's like so much to go into with this guy. Originally, he was a Portland guy and there was a, a band that would be like habitually opening up for like mid 80s metal bands so i did research on that band i was like who is wild dogs turns out <laughs> wild dogs was the first band that dean castrono castronovo dean we'll just sure call him let's dean, do that was yeah. in at like 15 years oh. old and he uh they opened for like metallica they opened for like armored saint or whatever kind of like thrash band at that time that were playing portland he drummed for him and from that point, like from 82 to like 87, that's that's what he did. And uh, they were kind of like any of those bands that were like, they should have been the next blank thrash band or whatever, but it just didn't really happen. Wow. So he went on to play in this band called Hardline. Uh, and then he went on to play in, um, he played in Bad English. He also played with Ozzy. And he created this like working relationship with Michael Beinhorn, who was the producer of the whole record. Mm-hmm. And so for a few records around this time frame, um, he would just be the uncredited drummer. Like, I smell I smell a conspiracy. It's a weird thing because like he played on Ozzy's record Osmosis, and I think that was kind of more of like that was set up properly, mm-hmm. I'll say. And um and I'm trying to be a little removed from the context of what the documentary kind of sets why up why we hate him so just trying yeah. to yeah why we hate <laughs> why we hate him so good yeah and so he also drummed on a social distortion record that michael beinhorn uh basically I if you record it with michael yeah weird yeah weird yeah S- yeah fishy. white white hot white heater something very like that. i know it was a really big social distortion record. very yeah. suspicious it seemed like essentially if you were going to record with michael beinhorn and they talk about this in the documentary he was the drum destroyer. So the drummer in your band was, but the end result is he was probably going to be replaced by Dean. Yeah. <laughs> and what I hate for, for like anyone who's listening who hasn't seen the documentary, it's really wild and insightful. It hits so hard. It's, it's wild to think and how it appeared. I, I think that, I think it happened. Do you think it happened that, that it had already, like, why? Basically, what they say in this documentary and and what apparently happened is that Patty played drums eight hours a day for two weeks in the studio. 
mm-hmm. the producer was basically just ignoring every take and just kept going again and then turning the volume down and doing whatever the fuck he wanted and then making her do it again and again and making her burn out. And then I just don't want to learn his name. Journey Man was just like on deck ready because he had already been agreed yeah. that he was going to do the record. That's fucked up. Do do we yeah, think that wild. that's real? Do you think that that actually happened? That there was like an agreement at the beginning, because to me, from, yeah, and 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 you like you would know this too from a from a perspective of a musician in a band. You do not spend two weeks on drums and then do something else, yeah. and then say never yeah. mind. Yeah, I I think like even when you think about it in the context of like. Uh, Foo Fighters which I, I've kind of like grappled differently throughout my life where I was just like you know fuck Dave Grohl for that and then eventually it was like it actually seems like in that process when the Sunny Day real estate guy that I'm forgetting his name uh, kind of got kicked out of the band or not on the record they it felt like they were actually trying to have him on the record <laughs> it didn't feel like a like a conspiracy to sort of like wear this right. guy down and so like we're saying, you know, so then at the end, I think it's like it eventually just I think that's where Dave Grohl realized with like that Foo Fighter record, like, oh, I'm I'm always going to be the drummer on the record at that time. That's what he realized. So to his credit, I think he kind of realized that and apologized after the fact. What's weirdly set up on this, that documentary is the part that like rubbed me wrong, <laughs> like was that it seemed there was a point in the documentary and I believe they said it there on purpose where it seemed that Courtney was in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I know, I feel like I'm like, I listen to too many podcasts about like conspiracy theories. So, I mean, and there's so no shortage like, of them with Courtney. <laughs> and, and I hate, that's why I hate it because I didn't want to come on here and like add to any of that because I hate all that shit about, you know, like, Oh man, she killed. It does seem blah, blah, in this blah. situation that she was made privy to it. The problem to me behind this whole situation was the producer, first and foremost, is yeah. kind of could potentially be a mass manipulator if you if you think about it hard enough, because Courtney, like Hole is Courtney's band. Courtney mm-hmm. and um uh Eric, Eric. yes. Um yeah. It's their band, but if you really go for it, it's Courtney's band. And yeah. so if and also I don't know, I, I I respect the hell out of Courtney Love in in her career and everything that she's done. Um I really think that she if someone was like, "Hey, you have to do this. This is better." She'd probably be like, "Okay, fine. Whatever." Like, I don't like it didn't seem like she had a ton of um, loyalty to her band in any capacity, which. Yeah, which is another reason why this record is so interesting, because it is the most polished and like pop and most mainstream thing that the band could have done. And then the band didn't exist anymore. Yeah. And I feel like to her credit and or at least the story that's kind of told um, that she tells um I don't know if she felt like a lot of people had like respect for her. Yeah. So I think like there's a lot of times that because, okay. So there was also an interview recently that she did with Mark Marin on WTF. And it's like, she like explains things and it kind of feels like, like she's from like a millionaire family and, uh, <laughs> and wow. like her, her, 
her dad was okay her godfather is phil lesh of grateful dead mm. and her her godfather was part of the touring crew uh for grateful dead people but essentially people that like supplied like lsd and stuff for the grateful dead a lot of those people came from money right. okay uh, that's and and so her family came of money there's a part she says in the interview she dated edward norton but edward norton comes from like a billionaire family and she said even though i'm of millionaires i wasn't of the right class for him and Damn, edward norton and then at some point like high. even <laughs> so they supposedly she says this in the interview um that they essentially paid her like a couple million dollars to just like go away. They like bought her a house and she went the away. Nortons? And that's how her relationship That's well that's how wow. she tells it. So some of this is like I don't know if this is like the legend she set up for herself, but it's like there's gotta be some truth to it. And then there's like a part in her actual story where it's like a family member passes away and then she gets a trust. Mm. And this is pre whole. And so she just kinda like lives off that trust. But it also felt like there was a point where her dad, he lost custody of her as a kid because he gave her LSD. And and oh uh, and there seemed to be tumultuous kind of things. And it seemed like because of her life story and the things that she's told that I don't think she felt like there was anybody in her corner. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's like and so I think that like a major label, once again, I'm trying to like give some credit because sure. I don't want to like. I think it's complicated. I mean, yeah, there's and there's and two I, sides to yeah. every story. I think it's like you want to make <laughs> – I, I had a previous discussion with like a previous guest. It's like the uh, – uh, like with Third Eye Blind, it's like if you were given that chunk of money and you were supposed to do the right thing with it, it's like I we'd like to say we would. Right. Sure. <laughs> but we've never been given a chunk of yeah. money. Yeah. You know, it feels like every heist movie where you have to split it into five shares and then eventually people die. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I know that's more dramatic than what we're looking at, but it's like, I think like when the bag is presented to you, I think that <laughs> Courtney Love responded according to what she was being fed sure. by DGC. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know? So it's like you want to make a go at yeah. it. Yeah. You know? And that's what I mean, too, in that like who's to say that this that Michael Beinhorn was not kind of manipulative in in knowing how he wanted the record to sound and he did not want Patty on the drums for, I and what boggles my mind and like the argument that they stand, that they played, you know, her parts and that they weren't good enough. She's a good drummer. And this yeah. record, not a complicated record no. to play on drums. And that to me- He's playing pretty simple stuff. It's real fucking like, simple. It's real clean, yeah. but it's real fucking simple. And- and so, like, now I have this kind of skewed relationship with the record, too, where I'm like, hmm, kind of bums me out knowing that it wasn't her on the record and that it was just some, like, journeyman. It was just journeyman. Yeah, journeyman. Just calling him journeyman. Yeah. I'm not. And, yeah. I, I wish that there was, like, since they spent so much time recording I can't drums, believe how much weeks, time they like... spent recording this record. Yeah. Yeah. It was like a nine-month yeah. recording process in three different cities. That yeah. makes people don't get record deals like this anymore. That's the other thing I have to remember when I'm thinking about this. You don't get record deals like this anymore. Record labels don't care that much about anything in order to devote this much time to it anymore. It's yeah, nuts. it's why I I think like 
Potentially in hindsight, the thing that we as adults on a podcast could probably agree to is that I feel like if they were going to not have her on the record, the honest thing to have done would be to have told someone at the start yeah. that, hey, you're not going to be on this record. I want you to be in the band. I need you to be yeah, in the band. Yeah, because especially afterwards, she left, and then they were like, well, you're not out of the band. And she's like, what the fuck do you mean I'm not out of the band? Why would I want to be in a band yeah. that kicked me off the record? Like, there's no communication whatsoever. That's such a shitty thing to do. And like, yes, being in bands and being in the music industry is like kind of you have to do things sometimes that you don't want to do and you have to make difficult decisions because being in a band is like being in a relationship with a bunch of different people. But like there's a tactful way to do shit too. Yeah. And and it just yeah. felt really not great. In the part in the documentary where essentially it's like at the end of the day of many of the days that happened, it would be like Courtney Love told Patty like, you know, I don't know if it's really stressful. Like, why don't you go do drugs? Yeah. You know, and she and kept like sending like, her money when she was living on the street, and not yeah. like trying to help. I don't know. It's very, it's a lot of, it's real dark. It's really dark, and and it's and and for as awesome it's, it's as this like record a, is, it's like it's also like this that that slice of everyone's life in this band was very tumultuous during that time, and it's interesting that it's the most like saccharine record that this band has put out, but it's also like the fucking darkest time. What's Yeah, and what's a weird thing with re-watching the music videos today is that even in all of that, it doesn't even feel like with watching the music videos, the, the major, the, like DGC or whoever is marketing all of this is even allowing Courtney Love to be front and center. Yeah. Because there's so many things where I'm like, Wait, they, I feel like, were they just, like, poising, like, making it where Melissa would become, like, the next thing? Because there's so many things in the music video where it's, like, really pushing her. And then kind of, like, if you look at it in, like, 2000, like, she has, like, a solo record right. and stuff like that and, like, moves on with her career. Very talented person. Like, yeah, amazing absolutely. person to be in this band. But it's kind of, like, it's weird when you kind of look at the marketing with, like, kind of all the other stuff in I just it. thought it was like, interesting when she got asked to join the band after their previous bass player had had died. And she even said, like, she did not want to join the band because she did not want to be that close to death. And it was just like, then why'd you do it? Why? <laughs> why yeah. did you do it? I think it's the same but, thing. But then it's also, like... I mean, she left Hole and then she joined Smashing Pumpkins. So, like, hey, every one, every door that closes, another one opens, I guess. I think that kind of thing where you're like, I mean, it's not the millions of dollars, the third eye blind thing, but it's like when you're presented with the bag. Yeah, I mean, you can't say you can't, yeah, you can't time. say no to an opportunity like that. But wow, what a weird, what a weird hole to fill, you know. And also, I yeah. found it very interesting how in the, the the music videos for this record, in particular, they do kind of try to perpetuate this like bestie vibe between Courtney and Melissa. At least I kind of got that in celebrity skin. They're like kind of like, kind of like sirens oh, yeah, totally. and like doing that fun thing. Um, when it seemed when at least from the documentary, it seemed that Melissa and Patty were really close. And then Patty kind of was upset that Melissa didn't just walk off the record, too. But, you know, Melissa was also like, I was hired to do this 
record. Like I, I stuck around because I, I don't know what I didn't know what to do. And I also can empathize with being that kind of situation where you're just like, I, I don't know what's happening. Like if the rug got pulled out from everyone in that band and it sounded like it kind of did to everyone except Courtney. Um, yeah, everybody else is just going to kind of freeze and finish the record and and then try and figure out what what the hell happened, you know? Yeah. Even at this point, having watched those music videos a lot, and I know the whole story, I watched them and I'm still, it's um, it's like the best CGI almost. It's like, wait, that is Patty there though. Because it's like the way they film yeah, the they got music like videos, someone who I'm kind like, of I am like her. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's nuts. And it's like, I know that it's not her, but I'm like, no, that's her in my even head. Even <laughs> just the amount of money that was put into the thought for that is just like... No bands get treated like that anymore. <laughs> Which is funny because they were like, it was going to be so much more expensive if we, um, if we allowed her to drum on the record. That was gonna. She says it in the documentary, like, and I'm like, you're already. She spending... spent two weeks in the studio. Yeah, and it's like you can, you can. There's I mean, no did exist way in hell that her parts were bad. I really would love to see like, and there's also no way that they don't have perfect takes for every song on this record. I would love to see like. Ah, uh, this re- it's already released the patty release cut. the patty cut and the 25th anniversary release release celebrity yeah. skin because it's already been 20 years which is insane but like re- release release the patty takes yeah wait are we at the we're at it'll be 25 yeah it'll be 25 then, oh yeah damn, insane that, i know you just absolute said it, insanity like, no. math <laughs> is nuts age no. is weird <laughs> yeah but okay, so uh, back to Michael Beinhorn. Yeah. I guess like he got his kind of start by he produced a Red Hot Chili Peppers record. Uh I think Uplift part. I always forget the name of Uplift. Uh and then he did a, he did I believe Mother's mm-hmm. Bone. And then he went on to do Soul Asylum, like their big one, and he did Soundgarden's record. Uh He did Black Hole Sun. That's the, the, one, super yeah, un- the one yeah, the one with Black Hole Sun. Uh and but what I will say is Dean did not play on Soundgarden or uh, Soul Because Asylum. both of them were like, fuck you and your journeyman drummer. We got this. Yeah. yeah. And I wonder, too, the difference of, uh, I mean, this is going to be very obvious. It's like, you know, male drums. Yeah. There's also a part of me that wonders <laughs> if, if Courtney was not completely manipulated by someone else to be like, no, this is what your band needs to do if you want to be successful. Like, to me, there's yeah. no doubt that, I mean, misogyny runs pretty deep in most, yeah. in most and they everything. And that to Courtney. Yeah. Yeah. They, they showed her the reels of, like, and who knows, it probably was cut to, like, the worst Sure, takes, Absolutely. You know, or just, like, and you're, I feel like if someone's like, hey, look, this is why this is bad, I don't play drums. Yeah. And I'd be like, yeah. Oh, okay, I, cool. Yeah, I yeah. guess. You know, it's your yeah, money. Yeah, absolutely. Man. Oh, it's going to yeah. cost more to get her than we got to figure something else out. Okay, I don't know what to do. Yeah, it's it, yeah. there's a lot of like, although at the end of the day, I think a conversation should have been had and that probably could have hashed out all these details, but they were all on drugs. So that was not going to happen. For sure. Yeah. Um, I also to note, um, Dean Castronovo at some point got kicked out of Journey for domestic assault he pled guilty uh and he uh and then eventually has since rejoined i think he went to like prison for it for a certain period of time but now he is back in journey uh and he does like co-lead vocals with it so i don't know 
easily. I guess it'll sound very obvious. Complicated. Yeah, yeah. real complicated uh, guy. But but big fan of second chances apparently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and but it's like in that that part in the documentary i guess like um where he's like oh i already i already knew i was coming i mean, i've been waiting two yeah, weeks that's to play fucked on this up. record that's like so, that's like the most like that's fucked up so thing fucked about up it. and just, i don't know who to be mad at i'm gonna be mad at michael it kind of does seem like it falls more on to michael because it's like i also just don't generally think that courtney should be held responsible for anything at that point in her life she was just incapable of really Oh, for sure. Making like, any big I couldn't decisions. imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Like, what's interesting. Okay. So, even like when I rewatched this documentary, because I watched it closer to when it came out, the idea of kind of how our perceptions of feminism have changed since I think this came out in 2012. Mm-hmm. There were a lot of things, and I don't want to mention names because I think those people probably have updated their views on it. Is there's a thing where people were like, oh, you know, it was weird because Courtney was like, you know, we, we viewed her as this role model, but she would just go do rock star things like, you know, bang other rock star guys. And then I'm like, you know, in 2023 context, like, that's not where we would place. Yeah, well, I know people still do. Right. But I feel like it's like, I don't think these people that even said those things in the documentary. It's It's just interesting with like 10 years between it, like how society well not society as a whole but a lot of people that would have been talking heads in it i bet have changed their one of the things that i respect about courtney is the fact that she whether or not she was wholly in control of her you know body in in regards to like whatever she was taking or drinking or whatnot she was in the driver's seat and and she wanted to be a rock star in the same way that Kurt was a rock star, in the same way that she was watching yeah. other rock stars. And she wanted to be able to be in power the way that they were. And I think something that resonates with me about Hole in particular and why I really love this band and why I really love their message was because they were challenging that idea. But unfortunately, it sucks because... You can be that way, but the double standard is still going to bite you in the ass because people are going to say what they're going to say. And also there's a couple of scenes like and you can watch it in live videos from them in the past where she'll stage dive and people will rip her clothes off. And it is so fucking like just infuriating because, you know, in essence, all she's being is a rock star and she is a rock star. You know, she's doing the rock star thing. She's kicking over amp. She's stage diving. But then we still just take it too far as a society. And it's it's a shitty double standard. And it also is just like, fuck, it's just icky. But unfortunately, her will to kind of like be like, I don't fucking care about that. Like, I'm going to do what I want to do. And, you know, I don't have to answer to anybody. But the world was not. And and still is not ready to accept that as a as a reasonable answer, you know. Yeah, yeah. Like everything that she does, for the most part, and really, I could say everything that she does, like uh, antics, mm-hmm. would have been heralded. Yeah, absolutely. She was a rock been, star. She was like a been bona fide it, fucking you know? rock star. She didn't give a shit about what she said or how she dressed. And that was something that resonated with me as a teenager. I was like, dude, this, yes, yes. But 
just because you have that power doesn't mean that the world's ready for it. And and yeah. also, like, obviously, when you have your vices and you have other other things at play that can kind of, like, make you a lot easier to be the butt of a joke or laughed at, unfortunately, it doesn't necessarily go well in your favor. And I think that that's kind of, like, the the arc of Courtney Love in, in my mind, because I do respect her so much, but it is kind of like a, a situation where you, you're rooting for her. And I think that's kind of the mm-hmm. thing about this band is that you were rooting for them. You know, you really wanted to see them succeed, and but you also really wanted to see them individually succeed. And that was a very tall order. Yeah. And it's interesting, like this was... I mean, I'm looking at the figures, and like this was it a was successful a success, record. yeah. Like it was, you know, Billboard 200. Yeah, we haven't even talked about the record the itself, and it is so good. <laughs> this record yeah. is so good. Yeah, and I mean, even though I don't like Michael Beinhorn, he did a good job with this record. It's a good record, you know. They 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 wanted to create a California record, and this is this is a California record. Yeah, it feels like. Like with movies, there's like uh, certain directors where it's like, oh, they screamed at me. Uh, they created a good movie. And it's like, it's true. It's like, you know, but it's like, I don't think you had to scream Yeah, at, at what But expense? I feel like sometimes, <laughs> yeah, it almost feels like these people, like Michael Beinhorn too, it's like they believed that they had to be this way to create a good record. Yeah. Like, you know, like just blow something up to like make a but good like what, thing. And it's like, what so, did yeah. screwing Patty Schimmel over... Like, what did that do for the the record? I mean, it's it's crazy because it's it like... It created so much drama at the beginning <laughs> because you record drums first. Like, yeah. that that set the scene for the whole thing. And I don't understand. I just don't understand that move. I understand the, the, the simple concept of, like, drums are, like, the found obviously the foundation of a record like it needs to be you know as close to good you know, close to perfect as so you can continue on mm-hmm. forward but not to the sense of like destroying someone's life yeah. <laughs> it's like at the end of the day it's still drums like it's like so it is you know it's like then it led to her being like homeless. yeah she lived on the street straight from yeah. this record that's it oh it, yeah and like change the course of her life for I mean yeah. forever. And for the rest <laughs> it's just of the like band she became too. Became a different person. Yeah. For the whole rest of the band too, yeah. it was never the same after that. Which is It's interesting nuts. too like I feel like this record comments on the idea of like I mean a lot of holes material does like that kind of like you know that making the California record uh, the dark side of it is like you know, a plastic culture, throwaway culture, but it's actually actively <laughs> throwing away members of its yeah. band. You know, people in the band are disposable, so it's like its own meta critique that they didn't intend to have on what the record is critiquing. Yeah. Yeah. No, <laughs> so, totally. You're absolutely you know, right. Yeah. It... <laughs> but I guess like to kind of bring it up enough, mm. so, <laughs> you know, like it's, you're right. Like, the record is amazing. Like, any time the 50 minutes that this record is, which isn't, you know, I feel like that's, it doesn't feel like a long 50 minutes. No. Like, I, you know, when I, usually when a record gets picked, I scroll on Spotify and I see how long it is and I go like, ugh, you know, when it's like this long. But I struggle to wonder, like, nothing technically feels too long. 
is what I'm No, saying. it does have a couple of five minutes. It has four five-minute songs. Damn, <laughs> I didn't even realize that. But no, it doesn't. They're, they're, they're all kind of bangers in their own right on this record. Even the ones that, to me, don't feel necessarily cohesive or that they fit in. Every one, you're just like, damn, this is clean. What do you, if you were to cut a song, what do you feel like you would if cut? If I were to cut a song, I think it would probably be Used Once and Destroy. I guess similarly, uh, what, like, if you had to pick one yeah. song from the record, like, what would that be? Like, what would you show I, to people? I mean, the easy one would be to say Celebrity Skin because it perfectly encapsulates the record. And then the second easiest one would be Malibu. I love Malibu, but my personal favorite of this record is Boys on the Radio. I feel like it was such a missed opportunity as a single, and I don't know if it's just me or if anyone else in the world feels this way, but there's something about the harmonies and there's something about how just like it's perfectly like beachy California it there's something about like the tag into the choruses and out of the pre-choruses that just like makes my heart really 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 happy yeah i think the it's like technically it's what makes it such a long record in today's standards but that from like boys on the radio i think two pedals i think like makes it feel like such a interesting record on the back end like really allows it to i really like the song pedals like like I feel like that's like such a good like closer, um, five and, and a half. But it's like closer. A, <laughs> yeah, but that you know it's like what you said. There's three or yeah, four songs four. That, are, that are five minutes. <laughs> yeah, it's like maybe you don't need. I don't four, think reasons but, you know. to be beautiful needed to be five and a half minutes. Yeah, there's definitely uh, some so like was... rock in there that you're like we're yeah. gonna we're gonna make this longer than it needs to be, but you're still gonna like it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so that was the song written with uh, Charlotte uh, Caffey uh, of the Go Go's, mm-hmm. correct? Yeah. yeah, which is so cool. Yeah. And also, I love that Billy, Billy Corgan had his hand in a handful of these songs too. Yeah, four uh, or sorry, five of the songs. So, "Celebrity," "Hit So Hard," "Malibu," "Dying," and "Petals" were co-written. So nuts with Corgan. Yeah, and it it's interesting because like. I think when I kind of went into this and looked at the notes without kind of digging in, I almost thought that those were like songs that he presented, but it, it but the way that they credit them, they're not just credited to him. Mm-hmm. And it also makes an effort, even on like their Wikipedia page, all lyrics by Courtney Love. Right. So it really does feel like this was like them sitting in a room with him, mm-hmm. kind of pulling out kind of bits, yeah. you know? So it's an interesting kind of way to like do co-writing. And there is so much about this record that does feel like Smashing Pumpkins to me. And the guitar tones. I mean, Eric's guitar tones are just fucking incredible on this record. This is definitely a record where like personally I'd be like, yeah, I guess I just need I've we know it's missing a chunky guitar part like what he had in some of the choruses here. Like it's just the guitar tones are really, really cool. Uh, Eric's playing is really, really cool on this record. It's just, I don't know, there's something very sparkly about this record that's very hard for me to look away, even with all of the, the nastiness behind it. Yeah, it's also interesting the way that it was 
produced, I guess, once again, to uh, Michael Beinhorn's credit, um, in that I feel like you can feel like everything that's happening on the record. Mm -hmm. Like, it's such an interesting thing, like coming out of grunge and it, it being like so close to it, but it not being like a grunge record like at all. Totally. Like, and it being like a record that's, you know, it's like, feels like everyone's kind of using this term now but it's like it feels so like power pop yeah. in a way that it's like the you know it's like i can hear what the bass is doing at this part i can hear the guitar like i can see all the strings but i still am like i don't know how you would make this yeah everything yeah. is so cleanly separate that you can yeah. you can pick everything out but you at the same time it makes my brain hurt thinking about how they put it all together well i guess the nine months <laughs> all the time is how you put it together um I, I think what what's interesting thinking about like the Corgan credits, like it doesn't feel like a industry thing. Like a lot of times, like even going back to like uh it's like when I think about like Aerosmith, I say that because Michael Beinhorn uh produced an Aerosmith record. Like a lot of those things were like, Oh, let's bring in I think Desmond Child mm-hmm. is his name, you know, mm-hmm. those people. But it's like this feels like the most honest kind of like co-write for person real. to be on this record because you wouldn't necessarily <laughs> know that he was a part of the record unless you dug into it you know it's not like yeah. he's guest vocaling on anything it's not like you know there's definitely like corgan-esque things going on in it mm-hmm. but you could also like if he wasn't a part of this record it would be very easy for me to be like well they were happening around the same time so sure guess everyone's influenced or maybe they're the same producer (laughs) and i i think what's interesting too about uh the documentary that we keep mentioning uh hit so hard um that melissa and corgan were like good friends yeah um they talk they talk about that in documentary i i didn't remember that part of it and it's like the story that it tells is like smashing pumpkins played in montreal Mm -hmm. i believe uh where she lived and someone was like we don't like Smashing Pumpkins. Like, that was essentially, and then she was like, oh, but he's a nice guy. And then they stayed in touch, That's like insane. pen pals. Yeah, and then that kind of led, basically somehow by all of that and people throwing names around, I I believe that's, that's how, how she, she got, got the, gig. the yeah. gig and hole. Yeah. Yeah. Just being friends with Billy Corgan, which I don't think a lot of people say these days. Right. <laughs> you know? What so a gift. It's, it's interesting, yeah. To think of him, too, as like a different figure. Like he's not the to think of him as record. the middleman is an interesting <laughs> yeah. thing to think about too. The sensible yeah. person in this, story. yeah, the matchmaker, yeah. if you will. Yeah, it's pretty wild. <laughs> yeah, but interesting too. Like with how everything is uh, credited, kind of like to everybody. Northern Star is a solo written Erlen song. As is Heaven it Tonight. Sticks out. Oh yes, that one too. And yeah. I. Both of which, Northern Star, I think, is really interesting, really interesting song that, you know, from a songwriter's perspective, I always thought Courtney wrote kind of about, I don't know, her husband passing quite recently afterwards, Um, was really surprised when I realized that she did not write it at all. Um, And then also Heaven Tonight is such a cool song, and I definitely would have thought... Like, I don't know, there's a part of me that wants to be like, I wonder how, like, 
to be a fly on the wall in in a room when Hole is writing a song, crafting a song, like who's bringing kind of what to the table because Heaven Tonight's such a hooky song. It's really cool. And and also Eric's yeah. guitar playing is kind of seminal Hole other than Courtney's voice, which is something that I don't necessarily think he's lauded enough as he probably should be. Yeah. It's interesting. Uh, I did a episode on Smashing Pumpkins as well. The idea of, I feel like we're uh, like Kurt Cobain was with Nirvana stuff. It's like they were, they struggled with the whole idea of like being rock stars. And, but it felt like when Smashing Pumpkins came on the scene and like really hit it big, like these were people that were like, no, we actually like the idea of being rock stars. And I feel like there's like an extension of that in whole, even like if it feels more complicated, it's like they, that, that wasn't, that didn't seem to, that's what they wrestled with. Like yeah. they were kind of like fine being, cause there's so much of this where it's like, this record feels like a history of rock music. Yeah. You know, like they weren't rejecting it. They were trying to like put it through the system. Yeah. You're right. You know, so, so it's, yeah. So someone like Erlinson feels like, you know, kind of like up there with just guy from Cheap Trick or something. Like that's how he feels utility on this record. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So I guess like when with listening to this record as, you know, a younger person and then kind of like as you kind of carried it throughout your life, do you feel like it's a record that you come back to often? Yeah, I definitely feel like so I I started playing music around the same time I started listening to this music um, and I picked up guitar and learned whole songs because I was, you know, it was whole and the Ramones for me. And Hanson, I mean, we're, we're being yeah. honest here. You know, those were the those were what we're trying to like churn out of my amp uh, and start bands with my friends. And uh, the use of harmonies on this record is something that has always just sonically appealed to me. And the same thing with clean guitars. I think coming from Syracuse and coming from a place where there was a lot of hardcore music. Uh, being in a pop rock band was something I always wanted to do. Uh, and no one really says that out loud, I don't think. <laughs> like, I want to be in a mm -hmm. pop rock band. Like, you know, every guy is like, oh, yeah, we're in a punk band. Um, no, I, I mean, I write pop songs. I always wrote pop songs. I, I always wanted to sound like Liz Fair, Courtney Love, Shirley Manson, like those. And what cool, wild Absolutely, and possibly incredibly wildly inappropriate role models to have as a 12-year-old girl. Um, you know, Tori Amos, too. It was like singing Tori Amos around the house as a kid is kind of strange and a little interesting. But I do come back to these records fondly. Um, I think the only difference now is that as an adult and as someone in the music industry, I think more mechanically about how the record was made. And then I also kind of think kind of creatively and artistically, like you can have a little bit more empathy for the people making the music than you did when you were a child. Um, and mm -hmm. so I feel like I have a deeper, not connection necessarily, but like um, I have more complex feelings for this record uh, yeah. than I did when I was younger. Uh, and when I was younger, it was like uh, like a prideful thing to have this CD in my backpack. You know, I, I thought I was really cool to have found a band of girls doing 
stuff that I only saw boys doing and dressing like where you could see through their shirts and they didn't give a shit and they were just kind of like oozing sexuality but also like in control. That was something that was really interesting to me, you know, in hindsight, how in control were they uh, is to be determined. But like, you know, to be able to, to have this wave of grunge and have it be female fronted, like, and, and to have it be this shiny pop rock record, like this is what came out. And like I said, the same thing with Garbage Version 2.0, like very shiny record. I was like, oh, so this is like, this is how this like punk rock me and like the person who also listens to pop music, like this is where that, that intersects and you don't have to sacrifice anything about who you are as an individual just because you're a woman in music. And that's kind of what yeah. what lasted and what made this record so important to me, I think. And do you feel like if if someone were to be like, I, I'm, I've never really listened to Hole, like, do you think this is the one? You yeah. Would oh, tell absolutely. To to, this is yeah. like, this is like, a, this is the red blend of of wines, so to speak. The 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 wine that you would give to anyone, you know, like this is like the most palatable. No one's really going to complain about it. Um, this is the definite like starter hole, in my opinion, depending on who you're talking yeah. to. Like, could I, I could get my mom to like this record. I could get someone who likes punk music to like this record. You know, you yeah. could play Malibu yeah, it, for for anyone and they'd like it. And then you play something like awful or I mean, fuck, there's just so many reasons to be beautiful. So many like this. that's such a that's such a grunge like rock song. It's so sick. Um, and that's what I really that's to me like w all you could possibly strive to attain as a musician is to create a record that transcends a genre or two and can appeal to anyone. And and honestly, this this record does that. I think they didn't even mean to to make it as accessible as it was, but it it really is a pop record. It's great. Yeah, I almost like want to look now at like the track listing of like live through this and kind of like see because in my head I'm like I still because it's like in my head I'm like I think I would reach for live through this, but if I think about it, I'm like the live through this has like a really cool vibe. Yeah. You know, but like I think the songs are on celebrity scale. Yeah, a hundred percent. I think like you know, I think there are more. If we're just rating it per song, I think I think there's more there there on celebrity skin than there is live through this, which might have overall a probably cooler vibe. It's, live it's through this is definitely like to... quintessential whole. But like, if yeah. you are trying to make someone like this band no questions asked just give them this record like who's what's not to like yeah. about this record yeah i guess what, what basically I, I said and I'll, I'll you know it's like i think <laughs> celebrity scan even feels like the honest response for me like i'm glad that's the one you picked because i think that whenever someone gives me live through the, if they were to suggest it i'm like I think you're trying to impress. Exactly. Someone. And that's exactly, you know? that's exactly it. And that's kind <laughs> of why I love this record. And I love that this was like my intro to that band too, because it was like, oh, this is the easiest point of entry. It really is. It's a great record. It's well-produced. Every, everything sonically is 
there. There's nothing lacking. And then it also has this beautiful Hollywood sheen. But then if you dig deeper, if you want to dig deeper, you can really get to know that band and you can really get to know what they're about. And it's drastically different. But shit, this is a great record, you know? Yeah. It's got some great yeah. songs on it. Boys on the Radio. God, that... Ugh. I... It's just, it's always been one of my favorite records. And I I know that like sometimes saying that makes me kind of uncool because I now have listened to all of Hole's records, you know, but like, this is my record. This is my record. And I'm, and I will not apologize for it. (laughs) Yeah. I like, uh, I guess speaking on the podcast, like as a, as a third person, I like those kind of feelings where people give give the honest answer because i feel like it says more like be able to kind of peel back people doing the cool thing (laughs) you know it's always like you have the better conversations like if you can say the right thing to somebody that you feel like you know it's like everything all of the clothes are right but if you say something and you will kind of watch them melt into becoming like the real person sure i mean how uncool is is it that like my music taste was dictated by like judging a book by its cover at my public library like, yeah. that's probably the, that, uh, the most cool. uncool thing I could possibly say. But, like, that is how I discovered so many bands. And, and yeah, I, I'm very uncool when it comes to music. Very uncool. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess, like, even the kind of shifting into uh, kind of because you mentioned, like, coming from Syracuse. Mm-hmm. Um, so did your youth involve you, like, going to hardcore oh, yeah. shows and stuff in Absolutely. Syracuse? Yeah. And I went to yeah. school outside of Buffalo, so it was no different in Rochester and Buffalo, going to hardcore shows all the time. Yeah. So you, like, had to go to I Object shows and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you wanted to get your Syracuse, like, card stamped, you had to, like, make sure you were at a few shows. No, I'm just joking. Um, but it was, yeah. I mean, they were always there. And also, like, playing shows, like, there weren't a ton of other options as a local band in Syracuse that didn't belong to, like, the university. Like, you played hardcore shows if you wanted to play shows. You know, yeah. Like my first band, I I started was a metalcore band, and it kind of felt like if I wanted to be playing shows, that's what I would do. And I mean, and you like yeah. it, <laughs> you know. It's not like you're like, well, I guess so. I mean, in some degree, but you're like, this is where my friends are, so this is what you yeah. do. So you join a hardcore band, or blah 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 blah. But you know, it's like I've always felt the same way, even when I'm trying to write like heavier riffs. It's like it's like I can't help but the melody coming out of it because of like you know, these kind of touchstones sure. like things like Celebrity Skin. So I'd assume like you kind of felt the same way. It's like, I know who I am, though. Absolutely. You know, so yeah. And so like, I'm c- really curious about like your journey kind of playing. I guess what's interesting, too, there's like a meta thing with this record, like thinking even about like Melissa and then even with Dean being like the uh, kind of the light and dark counterpoints of the sure. thing that kind of journeyman like you said <laughs> early uh and uh but that also being kind of like your role previously and currently mm-hmm. too like with playing music yeah. so i think it's kind of like a meta commentary on this episode of of itself yeah i i you know. also just genuinely enjoy like being someone who also plays in other people's bands and then does my own stuff too um, I, I I love seeing the sense of community that music creates, even discussing the fact that Billy Corgan was such an integral part of this record. Like that goes to say that like your 
your universe and in your social life and you are only as good as the people you surround yourself with and like what a cool crew this was as problematic as it as it may have been like that universe was pretty wild and pretty cool and so it is yeah I guess there is kind of like a parallel in my life right now too because I used to I played in a band with Frank Aero and now I'm going on tour with his band LS Dunes but just opening for them instead doing my own stuff instead of playing in his band which is pretty fun (laughs) Yeah. With when you started getting it, because I was looking at like a John Batiste. I, I I'm not even sure if I'm yeah, pronouncing yeah, yeah. his name right. That's just how it, um, like he's like a guy that I feel like uh, there almost need to be like books written about him because it's like he's a guy that I feel like is like on his back. And it's like all these kind of smaller sites have gone by the wayside. But I feel like John has put like Philly music on his back and Incredibly is like carrying so. it to whatever. Yeah. There's no there's no finish line, but it's like this guy is like that's his purpose in life is to like herald these kind of things. So I was reading a piece about it and that, did you feel like when you were kind of getting into playing in other people's bands, did you feel like you did it? Cause that's what you wanted to do in that moment. Or did it feel like that's a way in because you didn't feel like the, I'm, I'm attaching so much to this, um, that I wonder if it's, did it feel easier to be part of people's bands as a woman in music than oh, 100%. your own project? Oh, 100%. And my project no, much? 100%. Um, kind of similarly to what we discussed before, how you you were like, you know, when Melissa got the offer, it's like, okay, well, the offer's on the table. It doesn't quite matter, you know, if you're if you're going to eat a shit sandwich, you're going to eat a shit sandwich on stage with Hole, you know? like, And so kind of that, yeah. to some degree, I had done a band for a really long time uh, it was it was difficult and it was a struggle and then I just started doing my own thing and then the opportunities started to come and I started to realize that I could create a community by playing with other people um, and yeah like that it was the first opportunity to come my way was to do stuff like that and I found that I've learned an awful lot from that but it also you know has fueled my desire to do more solo stuff but at the same time it also has fueled my desire to do and continue to be an auxiliary player and a session player for other projects because to me there's nothing greater than kind of creating that sort of community within your peers and i i think that you know being a solo artist now i don't i i've never been a a solo artist um creatively I always thrive off of camaraderie with other people in a studio so I need to work with a producer or I need to work with bandmates that I want to play music with because I don't love being the end-all be-all decision maker you know and so having the opportunity to kind of like be an invisible leg to so many different bands you learn so much from from the people that you're playing their music and you kind of get a you kind of get to be a fly on the wall in a lot of situations in a backseat to understanding how so many musicians write and how they organize their songs and how they perform them live and so um yeah both of them kind of fuel but yeah definitely easier way way easier to get into the music industry as a as a, a female pawn. <laughs> yeah. Someone yeah. asked me the other day, they were like, how did you get opportunities for yourself as a solo artist? And I was like, I became a really good piano player in someone else's band. Like, you know, that's, <laughs> I don't play piano <laughs> when I play solo. I just learned all these other things so I could make myself valuable, you know? Yeah. I think about like, it's like, I don't know how many years ago it was now, but it's like, there was a point and there were, I mean, there were some really good touchstones, but it's like, if you were, a younger person trying to like look at like punk indie or whatever, you know, call it DIY yeah. is probably what we'd say now. 
I remember there was a point where it's like it felt like it was just like Sheena from Lemuria. Mm-hmm. Like it's like there weren't, you know, and to kind of like see where the climate is now is outstanding. But yes, there's a long way. It's it, it we've come such a long way, but it's still it's interesting. Um, kind of in this realm, there's still not nearly as many as there should be. Because <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's and a lot of like Phoebe Bridgers ask yeah. genres that are kind of being perpetuated now. And it's great to see women in music, but it's not, it's not quite the same, you know? Yeah. 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 And I think like, it's, it's interesting. Like anytime some asshole, you know, on Twitter or whatnot will be like, don't we have, I feel like I've actually seen comments of people like, don't we have enough now? You know? And whatever. But you know, it's like, it's the number of times you can only like, because you're a woman be compared to Phoebe Bridgers or Taylor Swift is like, You've got to have more than one of those in your fucking back pocket. Yeah. Then. Yeah. Cause it still kind of is viewed in a way, um, at least from what I see. Uh, I know you obviously the same thing where it's like, it's still like viewed as like this like novelty yeah. thing where it's like, you wouldn't feel it really. Look, there's a dude. Right. Know? It's like, it's like it shouldn't be a thing that's an indication of what it, a novelty or, you know, it, it's, it's, I don't know. No, you're totally, it's, you're it's absolutely thing, right. It is yeah. a hard thing to kind of wrap your brain around and it also just kind of makes your brain hurt. But at the same time, that kind of like going back to to this era in music and seeing bands like Hole, like that was like giving little 12-year-old me permission to want to be the next Courtney Love, you know, whatever that meant, or the next Shirley Manson, or the next Nina Gordon, like, whatever that meant, like, oh, I can be in a band with my friends and make loud music. Syracuse might not be ready for it yet, but, like, doesn't mean I can't do it, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's just, like, even thinking about, like, this record, like, I was watching a video... It was Courtney Love kind of more recently on Jimmy Kimmel and they were talking she was talking about like kind of being cool with Dave Grohl again and like they've made up over the kind of like uh, the estate uh, was I think the reason of the suings and kind of coming back together and Jimmy Kimmel asked her like would you would you guest on a Foo Fighters song and then kind of like to look at like her face I think as she grapples with that and then kind of she had to kind of do the I'm on TV response, right. you know, like the, yeah, you know, oh, I'd love to, you know, they could call me anytime they want to, you know. And I think it's like that kind of like just see, just seeing kind of that grappling. But then she said something that was like kind of interesting to me and she was like, but I, I don't think people would, you know, our, our demographics are so different. I don't know if people want that. And I was just like. But that's like such a bummer to have that she has to think about that. But then I'm like, but that is what people oh, do. Oh, it's the truth too. You know, I'm like, in my head, I would just file them in the same section. Yeah, no. You know, I understand where the career's gone, but it's like this is alternative rock or whatever. This is like, yeah, you're right. I guess it like is kind of sad that you can't think fighters. about them together. They should just be like. But I also think that to know, some degree, that beef was just perpetuated and like saturated the fan base so much that like that's why they're not in the same area. Yeah. I I think like people will just do still do the kind of knee jerk thing where they kind of say something 
without even thinking about it like of oh yeah off, like everyone's oh, well, got an know, opinion she, on her for sure you know and so it's like i hate that even in some way it's like i probably added to it a little bit because it's like on one hand it's like leave her alone but on another hand it's like it's complicated you know like you know i but mean it, it's, it's just... interesting because i just think at the end of the day people are complicated and uh stars they're just like us except like courtney love had a really fucking hard life you know and and anytime that you introduce addiction into a person's life let alone an entire band's life like that's why i i will always say i respect the hell out of courtney love i respect her so Mm -hmm. much i respect her for what she's done in the music industry i respect her for what she's done for feminism um but it is a very complicated relationship, you know, because it's like it, it, we're all people and we're all severely flawed to to whatever degree that is. It's yeah. When I think of like any sort of movement and it's like, you know, it's even like how now, I mean, we're a day away from Martin Luther King Day and it's like you'll see like tweets from FBI and be like, like you know, God bless MLK. And it's like the way that like kind of history washes over those kind of things where these people like clawed their way to mm-hmm. wherever they are. Like even, you know, even if we're talking about like Courtney Love, it's like we need people that we needed yeah, her absolutely. in that moment to do the things she did. She's unapologetic. And we, yeah. Yeah. And it's like, you know, I hear people like, I know sometimes with like taking like uh, women's studies classes in college, like there would be like kind of critiques of Gloria Steinem and there's like things there and I'm like but you know there's these there's these interesting viewpoints and I can I'll bring it back to the music because that's what I'm more qualified to talk (laughs) about where there's these fun parts in like bands discographies where I feel like it's like with like punk bands it's always like it's like 86 87 where they're like we don't want to be hardcore punk bands anymore but we don't really know what we're gonna do and so there's like this one TSOL record that I think of uh that's like changed today and it's before they became like a hair band, mm-hmm. but they weren't really a a punk band anymore. Those kind of moments and those kind of blemishes that kind of on their, they're like the most beautiful parts of their discographies. Yeah. And I think about that, you know, I guess if I have to make it serious again, I think of like movements and it's like, we need those potential complications and those blemishes to like advance yeah absolutely well and music is something that evolves like the people making music are not always like they're going to be the same people making the music but you can't expect it to be the same every time too and i think that i think that when you can bear witness to something like that it's a it's a shape-shifting part for a band and it's it's really interesting because you kind of feel like you get like a a little sneak peek of how the sausage is made and how you're going to see this band kind of move and i personally was very sad that the band disbanded after this because i was like i want to hear what comes next after this like yeah i was amped i was like fully on board because at that point i had been fully invested in the whole thing and i was like okay cool and then you know they had melissa was a great addition to the band and I was like, okay, let's like, how are they going to top this record? How is this like, are they going to all get clean? Are they all going to be able to like pull this off? And, you know, it's kind of a sad, it's kind of a sad ending to the story that they didn't. Um, yeah. yeah. But w- what's interesting is that Courtney actually worked with that producer on her solo record, I think. Didn't she? Yeah, America's Something like that. Yeah, it's the... something like that that I yeah. was like, weird. 
I mean, hey, I yeah, mean, hey, it was a good record. Like, At the end of the day, it was a good record. Do I think that we did Patty Dirty? A hundred percent. But 100%. it is a great record. Well, you know, thinking about like, uh, uh, you know, thinking about like, like you said, with it being essentially at the end of this band, I know they reunited, but kind of with like different mm-hmm. people. And it's like, if we have like Misfits reunion at like Riot Fest, like we need whole reunion. All of these people on this era are still mm-hmm. around, you know? <laughs> and it's like Patty, you know, Patty, Melissa, Courtney, and Eric, like give them millions of dollars right? to reunite. Like that's like, that's what they're owed. Like this it it is owed that in sort of like a rock history that kind of thing like let them get the bag again yeah they they very much are kind of like a like legendary dare i say and like in regards to like 90s rock like they they did a lot in regards to like feminism and in regards to like making some really thought provoking music and and visuals and like you know like i said just being very unapologetic about being women in in the music scene and and corny love is outspoken as she was like she was a force and i think that it was necessary to have someone be a force during that time especially you know she kind of heralded in quite a bit and opened the doors for a lot of people hashtag release yeah i want that patty cut so bad i bet it's fucking flawless yeah before i let you go i appreciate you going on all these journeys with me um you recently released uh, you know pretty recently released a new record and i guess if you want to talk about that then i believe you're going back on tour yeah. and everything yeah i put a record out in may called learning to be happy it's on memory music uh super pumped on it like recorded that here in philly with will yip um and yeah i i finished doing the u.s run with ls dunes um and now i'm heading out at the end of the month to head overseas with them and play the UK and Europe tour with them. So really, really excited about that. And that's, you know, my little parallel of having that little community. I've played, I've opened shows for Anthony Green. I've been in a band with Frank. Um, I've opened shows with Thursday. Tucker now plays with me sometimes in my band. Um, So I feel very, 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 very fortunate not only to know these individuals, but to be able to call them my friends and play music with them and, and, um, I feel very fortunate to have that be my uh, my orbit that I'm chilling in. I hope they let me hang out there. <laughs> yeah. And where can people find you online? Yeah. Uh, my name is Kaylee Goldsworthy. It's just so many letters. But if you're on this podcast, I'm sure it's spelled right somewhere. And then <laughs> my Instagram is Kaylee Golds. <laughs> my TikTok is Kaylee Golds. I think anywhere, anywhere that I could shorten my name, I did. So, yeah, KayleeGoldsworthy.com is the only one I kept it long. But... Yeah, I'm I'm around and I'll I'll be busy this spring too with some stuff that I can't can't quite announce, but really really excited about it. I super appreciate you taking the time. Oh, thanks for having me. This was record. a lot of fun to talk about this record, and and it was really fun. Like uh, my boyfriend and I have been listening to this record, um, and kind of diving deeper into the late '90s just at home over the past few days to prepare for this. So it has also been kind of like a really fun nostalgic trip. Um, and also, I highly recommend listening to the records you thought were really cool at 12, at 36. <laughs> it's, it's a trip. <laughs> like, they take on different meanings, for sure. Welcome back. Thanks again to Kaylee for coming on the pod. It was truly a pleasure. 
please check out her newest album, Learning to Be Happy, and pick up a copy directly from her. And, like we said in the chat, hashtag release the patty cut. Okay, next week, we're talking with Sarah again. Like I've said before, we wanted to give you a little glimpse of what we talk about on the Patreon feed for free. So, you know, to entice you to become a subscriber. Okay, we talked about MXPX, so more on that next week. On that note, don't forget to check out our Patreon. You can subscribe for as little as $1 a month or more, and you'll get an exclusive episode every week. Follow us on social media, Twitter and Instagram, at SpinningOutPod. Please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Leave a comment, and reviews always help. Thanks, as always, to Sarah for editing the pod and Pretty Maddie for the theme. Okay, see you next week.